0: section 10 of around the world on a bicycle volume 1 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org around the world on a bicycle volume 1 by thomas stevens chapter 5 from america to the german frontier part 2 The captain of the vessel, into whose hands Mr. C. assigned me at New Haven, protests on my behalf, and I likewise enter a gentle demurrer. But the customs-house officer declares that a duty will have to be forthcoming, saying that the amount will be returned again when I pass over the German frontier. The captain finally advises the payment of the duty, and the acceptance of a receipt for the amount, and takes his leave. Not feeling quite satisfied as yet about paying the duty, I take a short stroll about Dieppe, leaving my wheel at the Custom House, and when I shortly return, prepared to pay the assessment, whatever it may be. The officer who, but thirty minutes since, declared emphatically in favour of a duty, now answers with all the politeness imaginable. Monsieur is at liberty to take the velocipede and go whithersoever he will. It is a fairly prompt initiation into the impulsiveness of the French character. They don't accept bicycles as baggage, though, on the channel steamers, and six shillings freight, over and above passage money, has to be yielded up. Although on a foreign shore I am yet it seems to be left entirely alone to the tender mercies of my own lamentable inability to speak french fortunately there lives at dieppe a gentleman named mr parkinson who besides being an englishman to the backbone is quite an enthusiastic wheelman and among other things considers it his solemn duty to take charge of visiting cyclers from england and america and see them safely launched along the magnificent roadways of Normandy, headed fairly toward their destination. Fayed has thoughtfully notified Mr. Parkinson of my approach, and he is watching for my coming, as tenderly as though I were a returning prodigal, and he charged with my welcoming home. Close, under the frowning battlements of Dieppe Castle, a once well-nigh impregnable fortress that was some time in possession of the English, romantically nestles Mr. Parkinson's studio, and that genial gentleman promptly proposes accompanying me some distance into the country. On our way through Dieppe, I notice blue-bloused peasants guiding small flocks of goats through the streets, calling them along with a peculiar tuneful instrument that sounds somewhat similar to a bagpipe. I learned that they are Normandy peasants who keep their flocks around town all summer, goat's milk being considered beneficial for infants and invalids. They lead the goats from house to house and milk whatever quantity their customers want at their own door, a custom that we can readily understand will never become widely popular among Anglo-Saxon milkmen since it leaves no possible chance for pump-handle combinations and corresponding profits. This morning is glorious with sunshine and the carols of feathered songsters, as together we speed away down the beautiful Arc Valley, over roads that are simply perfect for wheeling, and upon arriving at the picturesque ruins of the Chateau d'Arc, we halt and take a casual peep at the crumbling walls of this famous fortress which the trailing ivy of normandy now partially covers with a dark green mantle of charity as though its purpose and its mission were to hide its fallen grandeur from the rude gaze of the passing stranger all along the roads we meet happy-looking peasants driving into dieppe market with produce They are driving Normandy horses, and that means fine, large-spirited animals, which, being unfamiliar with bicycles, almost invariably take exception to ours, prancing about after the usual manner of high-strung steeds. Unlike his English relative, the Norman horse looks not supinely upon the whirling wheel, but arrays himself almost unanimously against us, and usually in the most uncompromising manner, similar to the phantom-eyed roadster of the United States agriculturist. The similarity between the turnouts of these two countries, I am forced to admit, however terminates abruptly with the horse itself, and does not by any means extend to the driver, for while the Normandy horse capers about and threatens to upset the vehicle into the ditch, The Frenchman's face is wreathed in apologetic smiles, and while he frantically endeavours to keep the refractory horse under control, he delivers himself of a whole dictionary of apologies to the wheelman for the animal's foolish conduct, touches his cap with an air of profound deference upon noticing that we have considerably slowed up, and invariably utters his bonjour, monsieur, as we wheel past, in a voice, that plainly indicates his acknowledgment of the wheelman's or anybody else's right to half the roadway a few days ago i called the english roads perfect and england the paradise of cyclers and so it is but the normandy roads are even superior and the scenery of the arc valley is truly lovely there is not a loose stone a rut or depression anywhere on these roads and it is little exaggeration to call them veritable billiard-tables for smoothness of surface as one bowls smoothly along them he is constantly wondering how they can possibly keep them in such condition were these fine roads in america one would never be out of sight of whirling wheels a luncheon of normandy cheese and cider at Clare's, and then onward to bourne is the word at every crossroad is erected an iron guide-post containing directions to several of the nearest towns telling the distances in kilometres and yards and small stone pillars are set up alongside the road marking every hundred yards arriving at rouen at four o'clock mr parkinson shows me the famous old rouen cathedral the palace of justice and such examples of old medieval rouen as i care to visit and after inviting me to remain and take dinner with him by the murmuring waters of the historic seine he bids me bon voyage turns my head southward and leaves me at last a stranger among strangers to comprendre des frangiers unassisted some wise acre has placed it on record that too much of a good thing is worse than none at all. However that may be, from having concluded that the friendly iron guide-posts would be found on every corner where necessary, pointing out the way with infallible truthfulness, and being doubtless influenced by the superior levelness of the road leading down to the valley of the Seine, in comparison with the one leading over the bluffs, I wander toward Eventide into Elbeuf, instead of Pont-de-l'Arc, as I had intended, but it matters little, and I am content to make the best of my surroundings. Wheeling along the crooked, paved streets of Elbeuf, I enter a small hotel, and after the customary exchange of civilities, I arch my eyebrows at an intelligent-looking madame, and inquire anglais? no replies the lady looking puzzled while i proceed to ventilate my pantomimic powers to try to make my wants understood after fifteen minutes of despairing effort mademoiselle the daughter is dispatched to the other side of the town and presently returns with a bewhiskered frenchman who in very much broken english accompanying his words with wondrous gesticulations gives me to understand that he is the only person in all elbeuf capable of speaking the english language and begs me to unburden myself to him without reserve he proves himself useful and obliging kindly interesting himself in obtaining me comfortable accommodation at reasonable rates this elbeuf hotel is anything but an elegant establishment and le proprietaire though seemingly intelligent enough brings me out a bottle of the inevitable vin ordinaire common red wine at breakfast-time instead of the coffee for which my opportune interpreter said he had given the order yester-eve if a frenchman only sits down to a bite of bread and cheese he usually consumes a pint bottle of vin ordinaire with it the loaves of bread here are rolls three and four feet long and frequently one of these is laid across, or rather along, for it is oftentimes longer than the table is wide, the table for you to hack away at during your meal, according to your bread-eating capacity or inclination. Monsieur the Accomplished comes down to see his Anglais friend and protégé next morning. A few minutes after, his Anglais friend and protégé has started off toward a distant street called Rue Poisson which les garçons had unwittingly directed him to when he inquired the way to the bureau de poste the natural result i suppose of the difference between elbeuf pronunciation and mine discovering my mistake upon arriving at the rue poisson i am more fortunate in my attack upon the interpreting abilities of a passing citizen who sends an elbeuf gamine to guide me to the post office Post-office clerks are proverbially intelligent people in any country. Consequently, it doesn't take me long to transact my business at the Bureau de Poste. But now, shades of Caesar, I have thoughtlessly neglected to take down either the name of the hotel or the street in which it is located, and for the next half-hour go wandering about as helplessly as the babes in the wood. Once twice I fancy recognizing their location, but the ordinary Elbeuf house is not easily recognized from its neighbors, and I am standing looking around me in the bewildered attitude of one uncertain of his bearings, when lo, the landlady who has doubtlessly been wondering whatever has become of me, appears at the door of a building which I should certainly never have recognized as my hotel, besom in hand, and her pleasant oui monsieur sounds cheery and welcome enough under the circumstances as one may readily suppose fine roads continue and between gaillon and vernon one can see the splendid highway smooth straight and broad stretching ahead for miles between rows of stately poplars forming magnificent avenues that add not a little to the natural loveliness of the country Noble chateaux appear here and there, oftentimes situated upon the bluffs of the Seine, and forming the background to a long avenue of chestnuts, maples, or poplars running at right angles to the main road and principal avenue. The well-known thriftiness of the French peasantry is noticeable on every hand, and particularly away to the left yonder, where their small, well-cultivated farms make the sloping bluffs resemble huge log-cabin quilts in the distance another glaring and unmistakable evidence of the normandy peasants thriftiness is the remarkable number of patches they manage to distribute over the surface of their pantaloons every peasant hereabouts averaging twenty patches more or less of all shapes and sizes when the british or united states governments impose any additional taxation on the people the people grudgingly declare they won't put up with it and then go ahead and pay it but when the chamber of deputies at paris turns on the financial thumbscrew a little tighter the french peasant simply puts yet another patch on the seat of his pantaloons and smilingly hands over the difference between the patch and the new pair he intended to purchase huge cavalry barracks mark the entrance to vernon and as i watch with interest the manoeuvring of the troops going through their morning drill huge cavalry barracks mark the entrance to vernon and as i watch with interest the manoeuvring of the troops going through their morning drill i cannot help thinking that with such splendid roads as france possesses she might take many a less practical measure for home defence than to mount a few regiments of light infantry on bicycles infantry travelling toward the front at the rate of seventy-five or a hundred miles a day would be something of an improvement one would naturally think every few miles my road leads through the long straggling street of a village every building in which is of solid stone and looks at least a thousand years old while at many crossroads among the fields and in all manner of unexpected nooks and corners of the villages crucifixes are erected to accommodate the devotionally inclined most of the streets of these interior villages are paved with square stones which the wear and tear of centuries have generally rendered too rough for the bicycle but occasionally one is ridable, and the astonishment of the inhabitants as I wheel leisurely through, whistling the solemn strains of Roll, Jordan, Roll, is really quite amusing. Every village of any size boasts a church that, for fineness of architecture and apparent costliness of construction, looks out of all proportion to the straggling street of shapeless structures that it overtops. Everything here seems built as though intended to last for ever. It being no unusual sight to see a ridiculously small piece of ground surrounded by a stone wall built as though to resist a bombardment, an enclosure that must have cost more to erect than fifty crops off the enclosed space could repay. the important town of Mant is reached early in the evening, and a good inn found for the night. The market-women are arraying their varied wares all along the main street of Mantes as I wheel down toward the banks of the Seine this morning. I stop to procure a draught of new milk, and while drinking it, point to sundry long rows of light, flaky-looking cakes strung on strings, and motion that I am desirous of sampling a few at current rates but the good dame smiles and shakes her head vigorously as well enough she might for i learn afterward that the cakes are nothing less than dried yeast cakes a breakfast off which would probably have produced spontaneous combustion getting on to the wrong road out of mant i find myself at the river's edge down among the seine watermen i am shown the right way but from mant to paris they are not Normandy roads. From Mant southward, they gradually deteriorate until they are little or no better than the sand-papered roads of Boston. Having determined to taboo vin ordinaire altogether, I astonish the restaurateur of a village where I take lunch by motioning away the bottle of red wine and calling for De Léau and the glances cast in my direction by the other customers indicate plainly enough that they consider the proceedings as something quite extraordinary rolling through saint germain chalons Pavie, and nanterre the magnificent arc de triomphe looms up in the distance ahead and at about two o'clock wednesday may the thirteenth i wheel into the gay capital through the port Asphalt pavement now takes the place of Macadam, and but a short distance inside the city limits I notice the cycle-depot of Renard Ferrez. Knowing instinctively that the fraternal feelings engendered by the magic wheel reaches to wherever a wheelman lives, I hesitate not to dismount and present my card. Yes, Jean glinka apparently an employee there comprehends anglais they have all heard of my tour and wish me bon voyage and jean and his bicycle is forthwith produced and delegated to accompany me to the interior of the city and find me a suitable hotel the streets of paris like the streets of other large cities are paved with various compositions and they have just been sprinkled French-like. The luckless Jean is desirous of displaying his accomplishments on the wheel to a visitor so distingué. He circles around on the slippery pavement in a manner most unnecessary, and in so doing upsets himself while crossing a car-track, rips his pantaloons, and injures his wheel. At the Hotel du Louvre, they won't accept bicycles having no place to put them but a short distance from there we find a less pretentious establishment where after requiring me to fill up a formidable looking blank stating my name residence age occupation birthplace the last place i lodged at etc they finally assign me quarters from paul de villiers to whom i bring an introduction I learn that by waiting here till Friday evening and repairing to the rooms of the Societe Velocipidec Metropolitaine, the president of that club can give me the best bicycle route between Paris and Vienna. Accordingly, I domicile myself at the hotel for a couple of days. Many of the lions of Paris are within easy distance of my hotel. The reader, however, probably knows more about the sights of Paris than one can possibly find out in two days, therefore I refrain from any attempt at describing them. But my hotel is worthy of remark. Among other and agreeable and sensible arrangements at the Hotel du Loiret, there is no such thing as opening one's room door from the outside save with the key, and unless one thoroughly understands this handy peculiarity, and has his wits about him continually. He is morally certain some time when he is leaving his room, absent-mindedly to shut the door and leave the key inside. This is, of course, among the first things that happen to me, and it costs me half a franc and three hours of wretchedness before I see the interior of my room again. The hotel keeps a rude skeleton key on hand, presumably for possible emergencies of this nature, but in manipulating this uncouth instrument, Le Portier actually locks the door, and as the skeleton key is expected to manage the catch only and not the lock, this, of course, makes matters infinitely worse. The keys of every room in the house are next brought into requisition and tried in succession. But not a key among them all is a duplicate of mine. What is to be done? Le Portier looks as dejected as though Paris was about to be bombarded as he goes down and breaks the dreadful news to Le Proprietaire. Up comes Le Proprietaire, a Dupois, three hundred pounds, sighing like an exhaust pipe at every step. For fifteen unhappy minutes the skeleton key is wriggled and twisted about again in the keyhole, and the fat proprietaire rubs his bald head impatiently, but all to no purpose. Each returns to his respective avocation. Impatient to get at my writing materials, I look up at the iron bars across the fifth-story windows above, and motion that if they will procure a rope— I will descend from thence and enter the window. They one and all point out into the street, and thinking they have sent for something or somebody, I sit down and wait with Job-like patience for something to turn up. Nothing, however, turns up, and at the expiration of an hour I naturally begin to feel neglected and impatient, and again suggest the rope when at a motion from le propriétaire le portier pilots me round a neighbouring corner to a locksmith's establishment where voluntarily acting the part of interpreter he engages on my behalf for half a franc a man to come with a bunch of at least a hundred skeleton keys of all possible shapes to attack the refractory keyhole after trying nearly all the keys and disburdening himself of whole volumes of impulsive french ejaculations this man likewise gives it up in despair but now everything else has been tried and failed the countenance of la portiere suddenly lights up and he slips quietly around to an adjoining room and enters mine inside of two minutes by simply lifting a small hook out of a staple with his knife-blade There appears to be a slight coolness, as it were, between la propriétaire and me after this incident, probably owing to the intellectual standard of each becoming somewhat lowered in the other's estimation in consequence of it. La propriétaire doubtless thinks a man capable of leaving the key inside of the door must be the worst type of an ignoramus. And certainly my opinion of him, for leaving such a diabolical arrangement unchanged in the latter half of the nineteenth century, is not far removed from the same. End of section 10.